The Tuffle Commute, Season 3, Episode 1, Invented Language, in which we talk about Esperanto, Dothraki, and Klingon, amongst other invented languages, and play a game with Buffalo. You're listening to the Tefl Commute Podcast. I've been teaching summer school for about uh, 10 years now. I specialize in Klingon language studies. Majbahasta, Dutch. Majbahasta, Dutch, Miss Roy. How much for these apples? The Okay. Hey, Sean. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome, Welcome back. back. Yeah, we both said the same thing at the same time. Snap. Um, I, think, I think our producer will hate us for that. Uh, anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, welcome back, everyone. This is season three of the Tuffle Commute. It's the beginning of a new season and the beginning of a new year. And we've got a whole bunch of new episodes that we're putting together and we're really excited about. Today's episode is all about invented language. Yeah, we should. Uh, we we keep pe- picking um, like things that fulfill our geekness, don't we? Because this, this is this is again things that you and I like. Uh, yes, this is this is fulfilling our mission of being a podcast for language teachers that isn't necessarily about language teaching. So this in this episode, we're probably focusing more on language than language teaching. Uh, there will still be an activity, though, won't there, at the end, Sean? Oh, they'll, they'll, I'm sure we'll we'll pick a, put some activities in there as we go along, but. Uh, but we've, we've, ever since we started, we've wanted to talk about uh, in, invented language for some reason. So. I think we have. I think we, yeah, it was one of the first things we talked about when we talked about this podcast was invented languages and especially sort of the invented fictional languages. I guess it's, I guess it's the, sci- the sci-fi thing, which, which regular listeners will know that we're both into. So, uh, oh, shall we spoil yeah. Star Wars? Oh, no, don't spoil <laughs> Star Wars. Okay, that was the only time we'll mention that. <laughs> right. let's, let's keep going. If we're going to spoil... Talk about invented languages, though. Before we got to the, get to the kind of geeky ones, I suppose we should start, though, with like the uber-invented language, the most famous one, the biggest one, the most recognized one, which is... What do you think it is, Sean? Uh, Northern English? No. Be keen to hear the comments on this. <laughs> I'm a northerner. Uh, I think you're going to talk about or tell me about Esperanto. Yes, I'm going to talk about Esperanto because when we started, I started researching this episode, I didn't realize how interesting Esperanto actually is. Um, it's, uh, Esperanto is one of those things. When I, when I was a kid, I, I mean, when I was a young kid, I, I, I remember going to the park near my house, and there was a there was a house uh, there, and there was a there was a poster in the window that says "We speak Esperanto." Uh, it's one of those endearing things that's just stuck in my head forever uh, uh, with it. So well, the, um, the numbers of people who speak Esperanto today, it's hard to it's hard to find. You know, they're they're a bit contested. But some say uh, like over two million people, not native speakers, but that well, there is there a native speaker? Be a native speaker of Esperanto? No, I don't think there can. Well, what I can tell you though is I did a little bit of research, and I'd like to share with you six really interesting things I've discovered about Esperanto. <clears throat> Shall we go? Yeah, please. Um, All right. Well, first thing to know was that it was invented by a guy called L. L. Zamanoff. I 
I should have looked up the first L's. I'll put that in the notes. But anyway, L. Zamenhof, um, and he, uh, his goal was to create an easy-to-learn, politically neutral language that would transcend nationality. And, and it was kind of like a tool for peace and international understanding from, between people with different languages. So that was the goal. I didn't what was, know that what it was politically a, neutral meaning? I don't know. This is just what it said in the blurb. Okay. <laughs> Um, I suppose politically neutral, meaning that like he was here, I've got a quote that he said, Russians, Poles, Germans, and Jews, each of these spoke their own language and looked on all the others as enemies. This is him talking about his hometown. In such a town, a sensitive nature feels more acutely than elsewhere the misery caused by language division and sees at every step that diversity of languages is the first or at least most influential basis for the separation of human family into groups of enemies. So I guess he was saying if everyone spoke the same language, we wouldn't have enemies so much anymore. That's really, almost kind of looked, you can't see me obviously, but looked, did a double take you because that almost sounds like the conservative government at the moment talking talking about language integration because there's obviously been a lot of talk about that in the UK at the moment about people. Well, Zamanov, and I forgot to mention he was Polish, um, he, uh, so he, he invented this language, um, you know, to, 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 to make it easy for people from many different languages to, to speak together. Um, what happened was, was he, he, he was, uh, invented this at the end of the 1800s. Um, and it started catching on so much so that like totalitarian regimes in the thirties and forties started attacking it, um, at Esperanto quite, quite ferociously. Hitler mentions Esperanto in Mein Kampf as an example of a language that could be used by a Jewish conspiracy. Um, Zamenhof was Jewish also. Imperial Japan apparently attacked the Japanese Esperanto movement, and Stalin did, even though he originally tolerated it. He suddenly turned on all the people uh, speaking Esperanto. Same thing happened in Spain under Franco. Attempts were made to, to ban Esperanto in the 30s and 40s, and then it was kind of dropped in the 50s. So that was the second interesting thing. I had no idea about that. I, I, yeah, I'm just. I, I'm, it's now making me wish I knew how how it, how widely it spread. Because you know, by the time I was a kid, it was going. Well, they do have kind conferences of, every year, and it's supposedly, right. like you know, there's there's uh, it's, it's they say it's up to two million people. Um, and 14th of January 2016, um, 260,000 people had signed up for Esperanto on Duolingo, which was interesting. And February 2012, Google Translate added Esperanto as its 64th language. So, um, yeah, interesting. How do you go go about um, kind of seeding the language? Okay, so Zamenhof came up with the language, but... Then he's so bound to go right. Ah. Who wants to learn the language? <laughs> right, come and learn, like you know, because he's got a because language is obviously spread out of passing on information from one person to another, and and so on and so forth. Uh, with that, so y- you can understand why people want to learn English or Polish or or, or German. But how, how did he convince? Well, how did he convince people? To it learn? started after the Great War. After the Great <laughs> War, the League of Nations. There was a proposal made to the League of Nations. I don't know by who to accept Esperanto as the working language. So remember, at this time of, uh, in European history, certainly, they've just come out of the Great War. Um, you know, everything has, right. you know, everyone's shocked by all the stuff that's happening. There's lots of thinking about world peace, the League of Nations is being built. So I suppose this was kind of fertile ground 
for, um, you know, talking about a universal language to get rid of, you know, we just had the war to end all wars and so on. I guess, I guess actually invented language isn't, uh, now I'm thinking about it, invented language isn't, isn't that um, unusual because even when you grow up, as, uh, when you're growing up, you kind of invent a language. So, so you know, you, you, you could talk with your siblings without the parents yeah. understanding and peers. I think the other thing is Esperanto caught on at that time um, and was picked up by, for example, the anarchists and the anarchist movements as uh, Esperanto was seen as like an a-national language. So it was right. like if you were against the nation state and, and against the language, you would adopt this new one, which also would explain why totalitarian regimes attacked it. Yeah, um, you can so see it. Yeah, you see it in that sense. I mean, it's not dissimilar to uh, to, to to languages that you know, coding, code, being coded. You can see why states yeah. would get angry about it. Yeah, um, it was recognized by the UNESCO in 1954, and again in 1985 when UNESCO recommended that all non-government institutions use it. Okay, didn't know that. Google Translate, as I said, includes Esperanto. Duolingo has as well. Facebook has 310,000 users who indicate Esperanto as one of their languages. I'm willing to bet that some of those did it as a joke, but maybe it's true. Um, more interesting even than that is that the Chinese government has been using Esperanto since 2001 for their daily news on the site china.org.cn. I went and checked. It's, it's really weird. It's all in Esperanto. And they use it on China Radio International. So that's like current using usage of, of this. So do, um, do you know any? Uh, no, I just, I, I kind of looked at it. It looks kind of like it's kind of based on, well, it's based on lots of kind of Latinate romance languages as well. Right. So you can kind of figure out some of the stuff if you speak French or Spanish or Italian. Um, num interesting thing number five, the U.S. Army from the 1950s to the 1970s used Esperanto as the language of the aggressor, also called the maneuver enemy, in their war games. So they would set up these war games around bases all around the United States, and they didn't want to really name the Soviet Union as the aggressor So they did, um, for these scenarios that they were running. So they, uh, they invented uh, the name of this aggressor who was invading, and the aggressor would um, speak and, and give announcements in Esperanto. I have a really interesting clip for it here from YouTube from a documentary about this. Fort Riley, Kansas, headquarters of aggressor, an imaginary enemy used in training United States troops. Here, armed forces of the fictitious enemy country receive unique and thorough orientation. Tell multage Davi Camarados Davi Foridas Anto V. This speech in Esperanto, the language of aggressor, is part of the Aggressor Center's training program in developing the concept of a maneuver enemy. These U.S. soldiers are acting as troops of the mythical enemy aggressor nation. They have their own complete military organization. Their purpose is to act in field exercises as an opposing army against which regular U.S. troops can test their combat training. All U.S. troops are oriented on aggressor armed forces, equipment, history, and basic characteristics. 
just as if they were entering combat against an actual enemy. The aggressor soldier is provided with identification documents in the Esperanto language. And um, interestingly, the, 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 it's been used uh, kind of in a war game when right at the beginning you said it was... I know, isn't that, isn't, that, isn't, that, isn't that interesting that the U.S. <laughs> Army, uh, like something originally intended for world peace, gets then adopted by the U.S. Army for 20 years as a language of like the enemy, the aggressor who's, who, um, you know, and, and also if you see that video, we'll put a link in the notes, it's very much, you know, looks like kind of totalitarian people using it. Uh, the last thing, not so much a one thing, but Esperanto has been criticized for being ugly, for being cold, for lacking culture, um, for being Eurocentric, as it's based on major European languages, and for being sexist, because most terms and titles are masculine by default. I suppose a bit like French or, 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 or other, other, other languages, which I guess maybe makes sense if you think it was made, you know, 200 years ago. So sensitivity to other languages and gender sensitivity probably wasn't high on on their agenda. It is, it's kind of, I think this is a criticism of, of uh, a number of invented uh, languages that, that, that they, they don't express as well as, uh, as a, I don't want to say real language, as a, as a, a more known language does, a non-invented one, I guess. Because um, you, you, I was, as, I was listening to a, a podcast which was talking about the language of um, uh, Toki Pono, if I say that correctly, which which one of its main criticisms because it's such a small invented language, uh, it's only got 120 words. Obviously, you've got you've got very you've got to you've got to got do a lot of inference, so it can't pick you can't actually you know get across all the poetry and the metaphor and the imagery uh, as you would. But these are, I guess, the idea of the invented languages is that they're functional rather than than anything else. I mean, they're, well, they're there to serve a purpose. No? Well, they they are. That's the the functional invented languages. So, Toki, what was it called? Uh, well, if I'm pronouncing it, pronouncing it correctly, it's uh, Toki Pono, T O K I P O N A, which yeah. was in, invented uh, not long ago, actually, by a woman called Sonia Lang. Uh, well, if we talk about that, and we talk about Esperanto, and we talk about the various attempts to make an invented, simplified English, for example, Globish, then those would be functional ones. But there's another kind of invented language, which brings us now to our. The, the, the other stuff we're interested in, the kind of the geeky invented languages. Botash Did that guy just say revenge is a dish best served cold in Klingon? I believe so. So, uh, con languaging is the other thing I found, uh, which. Um, so conlanguaging is the official name for the creation of constructed languages, or also called conlangs. Okay, so they, they list Esperanto. Oh, so conlanguage is spelled is, uh, just so people C-O-N-A-L-A-N-G. Okay. Lang, and then I-N-G, conlanging. And a conlanger or a conlanger, I don't know, is someone who creates or constructs these languages. Now, they, um, this is because apparently... Um, Hollywood and major television networks are wanting much more of their movies, TV shows, and video games. Uh, so, so major producers, uh, entertainment producers, want these to be much more authentic. And they're creating entire languages with grammar rules, alphabets, vocabulary based on cultural norms, um, 
so for the characters to have real conversations. Uh -huh. So um, as as the guy Paul Frummer, who invented uh, one of these conlangs, Navi, which was for the film Avatar, he said, "The days of aliens spouting gibberish with no grammatical structure are over." And um, and in fact, the conlanguaging that movement. My God, these guys are thorough. Like, so, so would Tolkien be an early conlanguer? Like, yes, yes. Tolkien would be an early famous one. There are apparently hundreds of them. Um, but the more recent ones are very, very detailed. So, for example, Klingon has a, quite a substantial body of work behind it in, into grammar, uh, vocabulary, which there is based on the Klingon culture. It's so sad about Klingon that I actually know that's Mark Ockrand. That's the person who, who made the language. It's useful for trivial pursuit. The other one is, for example, um, the other one which has created a lot of attention is Dothraki. Uh, David J. Peterson. Yes, from the Game of Thrones television show Dothraki. And here you would find a lot of culture in it because, for example, he, he talks about um, like how horses and riding is such a big part of the Dothraki culture that, for example... Um, Ride becomes part of like verb phrases for for the past, like you riding forward something or uh, riding backwards. Um, yeah, so it's actually really fascinating listening to him. If you ever have you ever heard him talking about? Yeah, Dothraki. it's it's unbelievable. The amount he, he of wrote, work that he put he into. Wrote, uh, he had to bid for it. Apparently, yeah, the, yeah. HBO right. had different people bid to write Dothraki, so they had some work of J.R. Uh, Martin's. Uh, work on it, but he'd only done some things, and they wanted somebody to to do the full thing. Um, and he won the bid, and and then started developing it. He then did Valerian, another language in Game of Thrones, where he he wrote several versions of it because there was High Valerian, and then there was like the the the, the, the so so the, the noble kind of Valerian, and then wh where Valerian came from. So he kind of was writing all this stuff. Um, I really recommend uh, if you're into that. Um, listening to uh we'll put some links to podcasts where he's spoken about these i mean and it is i mean this these are really serious things so, so even on uh, even on the wikipedia page for dothraki you can go and see the phonemic chart that yeah. in, in the, the, these are uh, they're planned through uh completely so you can actually go learn it and yes and indeed there are websites like dothraki.org is a website to help you learn dothraki there are klingon lessons uh, as well that you can see online and there's learnnavi.org, a, a site for you to learn the avatar language. So um, that, I guess this is the beginning of a new year. Maybe I should choose one of those as my second language. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. If, if you want to learn the second language. Or you could think about making your own language and becoming a conlanger. Um, and it, in which case, you'd be wanting to go to the next International Con Language Creation Society conference, which I'm looking at their website now. They have an annual conference. So there's actually, I know there is a society of members. There's a society. It's like their own little ayatafel where they have talks like organic conlanging through stability and immersion um so uh you know he uh th this professor uh, will talk about the need for finding and ensuring stability in your language's vocabulary and structure to facilitate easier learning um and how to immerse yourself in your invented language for emotional and mental engagement even though you aren't living among native speakers well i suppose not <laughs> oh, no, but, it, but it's important it, 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 we took flipping over to language teaching the idea of immersion and of of language it's uh, yeah how would you emerge, become immersed in a language that you've just invented? You watch a lot. You watch Avatar on loop over and over again. Yes. 
Well, here's another, another talk that you could go see at this conference. When is a case not a case? Adventures and noun morphology. Case is a familiar method of marking the role of a noun, so much so that it risks becoming over-familiar. How do you avoid creating a case system that looks like every other case system? Yeah, something that's always had troubled me, how to avoid making my case system look like everything. <laughs> and, you, and, you, and you think you have problems choosing the right, uh, right reading text for your next course book. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean and this, this another one, the inflection of the Eldritch language. So that's just about inf verb inflections, just an hour-long talk about verb inflections in that invented language. This going back to Esperanto, does it inflect? I suppose it must. I'd have to look look into it. I think it does a little bit like Latin. I think the, oh, right. the, the things do. Okay, sorry, didn't want to didn't want to put you on the spot. I was just <laughs> again, I guess again, I've got Tokapani in my head, and that's did, did, did one of the deliberate things they cut out of that was inflection. So um, <laughs> you, you know, but then the problem is you don't know who's being talked about. So. Yes. Well, obviously, I only skimmed across the surface of Esperanto. I am a coursebook writer after all, so. <laughs> Um, I think it's time to hear a new special thing. Why don't we listen to your uh, segment? Oh, okay. About, about a buffalo? Well, maybe more than one. And now for something new on Turtle Commute. A linguistic brain teaser. Here's a real sentence. Buffalo, 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 buffalo. <laughs> no, you're not going mad, and I've not gone emoji mad. It is a real sentence. Do you want to hear it again? Buffalo, 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 buffalo. Buffalo, 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 buffalo. Yes, that really is eight buffaloes in one sentence. So your commuting challenge is to work out what the sentence actually means. Can you make any sense of it? You perhaps need to know that there are three parts of speech in that sentence. Uh, one category is the verb. You might not have heard the verb to buffalo before. Uh, so that means to uh, outwit or to intimidate or baffle. And that's your only clue. Don't let it hurt your head too much. You'll find out the answer towards the end of this episode. Shut up and let me think! Smiley face. Um, that's about it. Smiley face. They make me feel happy. Um, I like the sticky out tongue face. It just makes everything you say non-threatening. I do use them all the time. I mostly use them on Facebook. Especially because I use Facebook in a hurry and sometimes I just send a picture. Probably only really the smiley face and the unhappy face, not really anything else. I use them occasionally, smiley faces, unhappy faces, and some of the ones for birthdays. It's usually the kind of sh embarrassed smiley one. Use the smiley face ones, uh, the cat one with a smiley face, because I like cats. Um, and I <laughs> have friends that we um, tend to exchange um, cute pictures of animals with, so if I get a cute one of a cat, I will give a cute smiley face cat in appreciation. Do you use emoji? No. no. Why not? I'm not really sure what it is. Neither do I. So, wavy hand, picture of a man, picture of a question mark, picture of a pointing hand, 
what's your impression of emoticons? Do you have any idea what I just said to you there, Lindsay? Oh, I think so. I haven't figured out exactly how to talk in the emoticons thing. You know, like smiley face with crying eyes. Yeah, oh, smiley face with crying eyes. Well, what I did was waving hand, picture of man, question mark, and pointy hand. If I ask my app, I've got I've got a, an app on my mobile phone, which uh, if you speak to it, it will give you the, give you what, it's called speak emoji. Uh, and that was, um, um, that was, Hello, Lindsay. How are you? Was translated as as what I've just said. I'm not going to do the icons again. But of course, it's not a we're not, it's not a language that we're supposed to actually speak in, is it? But tears of joy is, of course, um, is possibly the most famous em- emoji because because of course it's the word of the the year. Um, That's right. 2015 word of the year nominated by or announced by Oxford English Dictionary. I uh, it's funny that the word of the year isn't actually a word in a sense. It's a yes, it's a exactly. it, it's, it's a symbol. But um, uh, emoji seems to uh, be the thing that everybody kind of was talking about at the end of last year. Um, yes, and it is another invented language. That's why we've included it in our show, isn't it? It, it is. It is like there is a, a body of. You mean the people un- who are who, Unicode Unicode Consortium? Yes, they are the ones, aren't they? They're the yes. ones who make the decision. They're, they are the people they are now. But that's only can't happened. just can't just have any old person decide. Yeah, I mean, you just can't make it up. I mean, you've got to you've got to get it past the consortium. But the consortium are big boys. I mean, it's Google, Apple, Microsoft, Yahoo, amongst other people. Uh, but no, they, their aim was to standardize emoji because, of course, um, it's it is built on. Uh, characters and so it was to make sure that the characters were similar in the different formats whether you use like an android phone or a, an ios phone but or, aren't there uh, some that are different from one to another there or? are a few yeah there are actually quite a few websites uh, where you can go and see see the differences but the what the, they decide which ones come into it uh and which ones stay into it and 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 so on um how many are there how many are in use do you think Oh gosh they keep adding more but i'm gonna i'm gonna take a guess that, that now they're at maybe uh, fifteen hundred. Uh, not quite that many, I say. There were there were eight hundred, and then they added another hundred and fifty before the end of last year. Okay, because they added all the other flags. Yes, that's right. And on if you've got a an Apple device, you, of course you can. They've added um, ethnic coloring and stuff too. That's right. Yeah. So those count as different ones. So you I, can have like I don't you know, think so, black that's hand Apple. clapping, brown hand. I guess if uh, that way, then there are many more. Um, so you're an Apple user, so did you update to iOS nine point one when it came out? The uh, yes, I did. So I got yeah. all new ones. But oh, when okay. I sent some of those emojis, people just get little squares. Yeah, exactly. I, and do you know what? Um, what 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 were the new emoji that were included? Do you know any? Well, there was eye roll. There was one that I always wanted to use, which is like rolling my eyes. Yeah, exactly. I think one, my favorite. You've got. You've, they added the hot dog. I mean, <laughs> like, the hot dog. Didn't they add a taco as well? Yeah, they something? did. Yeah, can you? But I just can you imagine going back to that idea of the uh, Unicode consortium sat around going, "Okay, so what should we add? Mm, can we bid for hot dog? Can we?" Although looking at teaching ideas, um, it is a it is a, a, a quite a nice speaking activity to get your class to decide what emojis they would add and why. Um, so just to bring it round to, to language teaching for for a while. Um, do you think emoji is the death of language, Lindsay? No. I don't think so. I think this is again like these these this scare kind of like oh it's the death of language. Remember they were saying that about like how uh, young people were using text speak. Remember that was a huge yeah yeah. And then all of a sudden we got text predict, which suddenly to me killed all my sort of 
uh, short texting, lots of my short texting forms because I would just have text predict fill in the words for me. So I suddenly started speaking long form again in, in text messages. I don't think it's the death of language. I think it's just another aspect to it. It's interesting though. What I find more interesting is how, how common it's used in that writing stuff and but how hard it is to kind of translate it into speaking uh, and how uh, people seem to want to do it more. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know about translating into speaking, but it, it's, um, I think I was, I, I never really, I, I've got into it more because I'm a gamer and I, I play games where people chat and you get, you get a lot of it in games, I think, you know, because obviously but, it's quick communication. But you get a lot of it in instant messaging, like WhatsApp, especially. In yeah, yeah. No, I see I, on my wife's, What's up? The groups that she's with, all these other these other people, they're using tons and tons, and they repeat them like a million faces crying, a million yeah. laughing faces. I think it was I was talking about more about my youth. I just I find it because I, I, I guess I'm a late adopter of emoji in that sense uh, that I find it difficult. Uh, just in case you're not sure what we're talking about, of course, emoji are the are the picture symbols that you get on uh, on your phones and instant messages. Emoji comes from the word uh, Japanese, obviously the uh, the e for picture the Mo for writing and the G means character. Did you know that? Yeah, uh, I did. I thought it was like from emotion linked to another word. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. And of course, don't confuse your emojis and your emoticons. They are different things. Uh, emojis are are the graphic picture, whereas the emoticon are more when you put in like the the colon and then bracket the wink, the wink uh, like semicolon uh, dash. Half bracket, which that, is a, yeah, that's the one. I thought interesting. I've just come back from the the bet show with the, the you know the educational technology show that's taking place in London. And I went to a, a talk where, which was not not actually about um, uh, em, em, um, emoji, but it was all about the idea that the millennial, the millennials, you know, the, the the people born within this new century, the beginning of this new century, actually are now using images and photos more for more for communication than than words and. It, maybe stop and think whether how true that might be but i guess in you know if you think about um, it's kind of like the selfie and the meme and and the emoji then, then there's a lot of truth in that i guess um I, I guess so i guess so but i don't think using that more than words hmm. mm, I, i'm gonna take that with a healthy dose of skepticism I, but. It's, I, it's one of those things that made me think and i got quite interested it was quite interested in the fact that it made me think and think oh is that true and then you think yeah. how many selfies are done and, and as you, you just said to yourself your your was it your wife uh, yeah no tons of them i think the other reason why i mean uh, the, 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 especially the images the selfies the memes and everything is cuz now our devices allow us to send images much easier and color and everything like that when which wasn't so possible let's say 15 years ago but and, and if we come back to the idea of invented language it is a language which everybody can speak at once i mean we talked about esperanto. we talked about esperanto at the beginning you know this idea of 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 creating this level playing field for all languages and and that's that's true of of uh, of emoji i mean they do it doesn't matter, and I find it interesting. Uh, again, on my, in, in my games, when when um, if I take uh, I'm, I'm a clash of clans, if I take that, my clan is from all over the world, and they communicate quite happily using you know hand signals and uh, the, the gestures for in emoji and so on. And there've been some uh, people doing research. You know, they'll give people sentences uh, and of different nationalities, be it German, Italian, Portuguese, etc., and getting them to write these sentences in emoji, and they all translate them the same way. So. Um, so do you think, to bring it back to the top of our show, do you think that emoji is the final real, could be the final realization of Zamenhof's dream of Esperanto to make uh, an easy-to-learn 
politically neutral language that transcends nationality and fosters peace and international understanding between millennials? No. No. I don't think so either. No. No. I think I like the symmetry of that. I like the symmetry of it, but I think uh, I'll take it a different way. I th- um, I'll, and I'll take it from what Psychology Today's website said, is that emoji is a chance that when we communicate in real life, uh, we use gestures and paralinguistic features. And emoji and technology, well, technology is allowed for emoji, which means that now we can genuinely um, speak with the gestures that we're missing when we are online in that sense. That's true. When I think of the number of little smiley faces that I might put to sort of soften something, that's, that's very true. Good point. So I think it. I think it's. I think it's from that point of view. Um, I think it is there. Although, um, uh, just would you like to? Uh, would you be willing to read modern literature? No, not even modern literature. Literature in emoji. I mean, the, Shakespeare has been translated into emoji. Mo- no, not Mo- interested. Moby Dick, or as it added, has been done is emoji dick, which you can buy. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds like uh, kind of something that the Microsoft paperclip might be into. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that from an earlier episode. Um, no, not interested at all. It's kind I of. I would a- be interested to see. I think it'd be interesting to see it dropped into like modern books, like a little part or something. But but a whole book like that, no. Buffalo, 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 buffalo. Yes, it's time for the answer to the uh, challenge that we said earlier in the podcast. It's coming up shortly, giving you just one last second to turn off your podcast if you don't want the answer yet. So, of course, the sentence means bison from buffalo, which bison from buffalo bullied, themselves bully bison from buffalo. (laughs) Once more, bison from buffalo, which bison from buffalo bullied, themselves bully bison from buffalo. I don't think so. Well, I'm afraid it's true, and you can go to devilcommute.com and we'll give you the link to where we found it and took it from. But what you need to know is that uh, there are three parts of speech in that sentence. There is obviously uh, the city of Buffalo as a buffalo, then there is the noun uh, buffalo, uh, and the verb buffalo. That makes it easier for you, doesn't it? The Wikipedia page actually gives a really nice explanation and shows you how the sentence is passed. We hope you enjoyed that linguistic challenge and we'll bring you some more in future episodes. Well, Sean, I think it's time for me to say uh, Gis la revido. Ah, there's uh, Esperanto for goodbye. Do you have something to say to me? Oh, I, I would say wavy hand. Wavy hand. And to which case I would then say uh, hajas or fonas check, which is hunt well or be strong in Dothraki. Oh, it was Dothraki, was it? I, you, I, you, you, I conjured up Klingon when, when you were doing that. I, I could see it was the Klingon warrior. <laughs> And maybe then I'll also finish uh, for everyone with Dothras Czech, which is ride well, said in parting, and kind of means be cool. <laughs> Dothras Czech, everybody. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.
As your commute is coming to an end, here's an activity you can take into class. It's inspired by one of our Vox Pops. Try using emoji as a way of encouraging creativity in sentence writing. Our Vox Popper said her friends challenge each other to describe what they are doing in emoji. So that's our activity. Go into class and ask the students to compose a sentence in emoji to describe something they did last night. If the students are allowed to use their phones in class, then they can send each other the messages or share them via a WhatsApp group. If not, they simply show their screen to their working partners. Once they've shared their message, their peers try and translate the message into English and work out what the student did the previous evening. Building on this, you can use random selections of emoji to encourage story creation. You can read more about this and find links and ideas for this episode to use in class at our website, www.tefelcommute.com. You've been listening to The Tefl Commute, an original podcast produced and presented by Lindsay Canfield, Sean Wilden and James Taylor. Don't miss out on any episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes or YouTube and by visiting us at www.tefelcommute.com.